welcome to another episode of the Aspiring Spirit Podcast. My name is Dr. Kanan McKenzie. And I'm Andrew DeFranza. We are your co-hosts, and we're also a married couple, in case you're wondering. Well, go figure, right? So we have been doing this podcast through an audible means, but we've gotten requests to do a video together. And we thought, not only are we going to do our first video together, but we're going to pick a very hot topic of conversation. So just as background, I'm an educator and I am teaching in higher education. And I run a nonprofit and do a lot of work with affordable housing uh, and its relationship to justice issues and equity and access. So that is the lens that we look at a lot of our work through and how we think about sharing information with the community. But the hot topic this time has something to do with education, but has become so politically charged that we both wanted to talk about it. And that's the topic of critical race theory. So first we wanted to just say more about what that is and where it came from. And then we have something to say about what we think is actually happening. Do you have some sense uh, as to how we could explain to people what critical race theory or CRT is and maybe what it's not? Sure, so I wanna start off by saying that the use of the acronym CRT may actually be part of the confusion that could be happening. Um, and so I wanna be able to talk about that a little bit. So critical race theory, what is it? Well, critical race theory is not a new thing. It is a theory, just like we have lots of theories in education about how things work. So we have a theory of relativity that tells us about physics. We have math theories. We have theories about English literature. And so there's also theories about how race has impacted society. And in critical race theory in particular, when we use the word critical, it's similar to when we use it in the way we say critical thinking, which is like a way of thinking that is a little deeper and uses some higher level ways of analyzing things. So as our children get older, we want them to have more critical thinking skills, meaning to be able to really understand things even if they're getting more and more complex. Well, critical race theory is basically that, but as it applies to race. There are adults, primarily in higher education, colleges and universities, or law schools, that have used race as a way to better understand the way our society is today. So when we talk about lots of things that we deal with every day, like housing, education, the way that race has played a role in those areas has changed over time because of different policies we've had as a country. Yeah. So in higher education, law schools, colleges and universities, that has been some of the ways that discussions have happened yeah. to help us to better understand how injustices might have developed and how different communities have had different experiences based on their race. And nothing about that is untrue because it is factual that legally 
people were treated differently because of their race. Mm -hmm. It was the law, it was policy, and it had implications for every aspect of a non-white person's life. And, and is that then, is that the kind of thing that's being used in elementary schools and middle schools and high schools in this country? Uh, no, it's not. So just the way that sounded very high level and perhaps a, like an adult way of thinking about the world to you, if you've heard that, well, that's usually where those conversations are happening. Mm -hmm. But in our elementary schools, children are being exposed to what I would call more culturally aware ways of looking at information. And sometimes the way we talk about that is we also use the term CRT, which could be confusing, right? Because the acronyms are the same. Acronyms the same. So one way that we talk about that is culturally responsive teaching, which can be said as CRT. Some places even expand on that. For example, Boston Public Schools says culturally and linguistically sustaining practices, CLSP. And what they mean by that is, not only do we care about the culture students bring with them, we care about the languages they speak and how to sustain it so that they can use who they are culturally and linguistically to help them learn. So for example, you might have a book that's written in two languages as a student is learning to be more proficient in English. We ultimately expect our students to learn a language that is more commonly used in our country and perhaps in our hemisphere. But if they come with another language and are multilingual, we want to also say that is a good thing. So if you come to a new place, let's say we move to Montreal mm -hmm. and I, I have to learn to speak French, right? I don't know how to speak French. We're trying to learn Italian in the house. Okay. I would really like it if I move there to have someone let me use English for a while as I'm learning something new and hard. So if I have a new job and I'm now a professor there and I speak no French, it's probably not going to look like I know what I'm doing, right? Mm -hmm. So to be culturally and linguistically affirming to a student, way that, that might look different like you have now come from a country where English is not the main language. Your family speaks a language other than English, Italian, mm -hmm. French, Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so we start off by helping you to be bilingual in school. So you might get materials to help you understand math now. Because we don't want to assume that because someone doesn't speak English that they're not smart or capable. So now a student might actually see themselves in the material in the language they speak and therefore we're affirming the language they bring to the school. And we view that as a way to facilitate their educational opportunity and chance to succeed. Yes, That's because the, the, the goal, right? The goal is to help students have who they are be something that educationally can work for them and be affirmed. So if you're from another country and there are some practices in that country that are helpful to you, mm. let's say you're a part of a larger multi-generational household and the school interacts with your grandparents as well because your grandparents are seen as just authority figures and guardians in the same way your parents are but the school's like i understand that 
We're going to include the grandmother in the IEP meeting because she's also a responsible parenting figure or the grandfather helps to provide childcare. So instead of saying, oh my gosh, what's wrong with that family? Why do they do that? Well, maybe the approach is, oh, culturally that's a way that the family supports this child mm -hmm. and it's good for them. Let's mm -hmm. affirm that by then including grandparents when we say family meetings, mm -hmm. right? That's just being culturally affirming. And in the end is beneficial to the child's success and access to opportunity. Uh, in a way that treats their family dynamic as, a, as an asset, as a positive. They bring something to the table. All of which, though, is to help the kid, the child, to learn. Yes. So I would say, in my work in higher education, working with teachers, there's an emphasis on how do we better realize the cultures that children bring with them, and even their language as a part of that and be able to use that as a tool to help them be successful in school and to be respectful of the fact that it may not look like our mainstream culture that they may have seen maybe on TV or maybe what we've always had in our books. Um, so in their culture, maybe they didn't necessarily have a Cinderella story, but maybe they had a story that was really about being brave and being kind and something happens in the end that makes the person seem like they were rewarded for their kindness. And we just choose to use that story instead. So there's those parts of it. There's also the part of knowing that when we go about the world, we see people first. So we may see the color they are, the body types they are, the different heights, the different levels of ability they have in terms of mobility. And then children may then see that as a part of a story. They may see people who are not white. And those people may be indigenous groups. They may be people of African descent, etc. So now those children can look in the book and say, oh, people like me are also doing science. People who look like me are also the people who are interested in astronomy or who are writing. Or the author who looks like me is also writing important things that we're studying. Does that mean that the contributions of the people who've mostly been featured, uh, in our case, people of European descent, no longer matter and don't have a place in our curriculum? Not necessarily so. I think the example that I like to think about is when I believe it may be Mother Teresa who used this phrase, when you light one candle in the dark, you know, and you couldn't light the other candles. I think about that as like lighting a candle, lighting a candle, sort of adding to our knowledge and awareness, right? By adding stories that add value to appreciating and understanding different cultural contributions to the fabric of our country. You also made a really good point about whether people are worried about their place being diminished somehow. So I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I think to even to your reference about the candles, there's an expansion. So view this, view a multicultural approach to the education that kids are getting in elementary and, and secondary schools, that the more we bring a wider variety of stories that will help them succeed, the more we're expanding the good. But that in expanding the good, we're not reducing the good for someone else. This is not a, a, a taking away um, from someone, but an enlargening of the scope of the field uh, of the fabric of a human society that gives us all 
more opportunity, more insight, more chances to succeed. So this is everybody getting more opportunity and everybody having a broader narrative, not someone having to have less, but everybody being able to have more, more light, more candles, more light. Right, and I think the other analogy I think about is the one where we talk about, and it may be a Buddhist principle, where one candle lighting the other one, that flame doesn't get diminished because it lit another candle, and it doesn't go out because it lit another candle. That's right. So that flame lights another candle and doesn't lose anything. Right. And so if we start to include stories about the indigenous people in a fuller way and in a more accurate way, and then we consider the age groups we're talking to, we can help them actually better understand the origin stories mm -hmm. and the realities of people around them. Mm -hmm. And for those people who are now included in the story, education has more relevance, right. it's more vibrant, it has meaning. And in order for human beings to learn really well and to be able to engage with material, they usually do a better job if it relates to something about their lives. Mm -hmm. I think we've all made the joke in, in high school, right? Where you're taking calculus and you're saying to yourself, when am I ever gonna use this? Or you say to your parents, do you use this anymore? Because right. you're trying to understand why you have to grapple with this information. Right. But you're looking for the relevance because if it's hard, you're wondering why, why do it anyway? Right? Well, kids aren't different when it comes to seeing themselves in what they're learning because they wanna know well, how does this relate to my life or my work or what I'm going to do in the future? And the more they can see themselves in those pages as they're flipping through and they see people of African descent being discussed and not only in a very one-sided way where it's about tragedy and suffering, mm -hmm. but also about contributions. So I, one of the funny questions I get is like, why is there a Black History Month? Like, why do you even need that? Why don't we... Why don't we just have everybody's history just be history, just call it history. But this is part of the reason that those types of things were created because there was an absence right. of the inclusion of certain people in a way that was bigger than small sections that talked about slavery and Martin Luther King. Right. And being able to see themselves, or any kind of people group, a child, a second grader, a, you know, as we have rising, right, a, a young person, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, them being able to see themselves in people that they see have had impact uh, on society in positive ways enhances their attachment to their material, their chance to succeed educationally, which is good for everybody. So a society, good society-wide for more children to see themselves and be more effective in their learning and, uh, and to be encouraged that they have a chance to succeed when they see examples of people who look like them, um, when they can see themselves, as you've described before. Yeah, so I would say this culturally aware lens, that is something that school districts and school local officials are thinking about how to do a better job with, and at the same time not take away from, diminish or oppress anyone in the process of doing that, because in fact, part of what this education is trying to do is to affirm everyone's humanity. Right. 
not to in return diminish another group's humanity even the majority groups or the group the groups that have had the most power in these narratives it's not about saying these groups don't matter now and they're going to be supplanted by this new information it's saying we won't need black history month or latinx history month or asian pacific islander heritage week or month if there was faith that everybody was already going to be included in a holistic way and that their accomplishments would be amplified appropriately because that had not been happening there was a need to say wait a minute we forgot something we forgot someone we're excluding someone and until there's a time in which that is done in a way that is actually more holistic of what has happened groups will feel like they're not so sure and part of the effort here is to say what well, we are thinking about where we have left out important things i can see this even happening in places that are not schools mm. so one of the places right is our local trustees mm -hmm. um, organization right land conservation right and you could talk a little bit about how that's mm -hmm. been dealt with in a culturally aware way yeah that's an interesting example so for for land conservation movements where they're trying to preserve open space maybe farms or parkland that then have access for everybody to enjoy nature and the outdoors, which in the last year and a half during the pandemic has been, we've realized, I think everyone has what a critically important resource that is. We've noticed in recent months, they're making an effort to acknowledge both that they wanna make sure that people who access that land, that anybody could, that it's not strictly a one group of people that accesses a public good but that a public good by its nature is available widely to the public, which means a lot of different groups of people. And in the process, they're also doing the work, the hard work, I would say, of acknowledging some of the origin of the land that they now steward um, and who worked on that, particularly if there were uh, slaves that were working the land or indentured servants or others that were oppressed for their labor in the process. They're acknowledging that, hey, this happened here, and featuring that so that they can grapple with and uh, respect uh, the heritage of how the land was used beforehand, and maybe even the purpose for it, land that was preserved or controlled for the purpose of exclusion, uh, for the purpose of making sure that only certain people lived in an area and other people were kept out, um, that it cannot be, that that's not an ethical purpose that has a public good. Uh, and so that we, we watched them, and, and actually I was, I was frankly surprised um, to see a group, uh, groups like that acknowledge that history, try to make right by uh, affirming it and accepting the responsibility to tell that part of their story, the whole story, and then to move forward into a phase, sort of what you were saying earlier about it not diminishing. Rather than diminishing what they have, I think it has amplified and elevated the good of their space widely now for everybody, or at least it creates that opportunity. We've come from here in these ways, some of these things that were part of our history, we don't want to continue to affirm, and we want to make sure that this good that we have is available for everyone's health and success, just like we would want in a school system. Right, and I think to go back a little more than maybe the way that land was used in ways that we don't necessarily want to do anymore, even to acknowledge whose land it was, yeah. before it was colonized 
That's so now we do land acknowledgements just to say we're aware, yeah, for example, where we're sitting. <laughs> I believe the Montauk people were on this land where we are in Long Island. And just north of us here, um, we have Southampton, where there is a reservation for Native American peoples. And they recognize their tribal affiliations. So it's not as though Native American people are completely gone. We have redistributed where they could be with boundaries and different agreements and so forth. But the vast majority of their land has been taken for use by other people, either by force or with some kind of agreement. Mm -hmm. But we've essentially moved them off and away from right. where they were. Right. And they did not do it by choice. They were conquered or they were forced or they were given compensation so that they can move out of the way for those who wanted to settle. And the compensation, we can argue about whether any of it was fair, but Manhattan Island was purchased for $24 back then. And maybe that was a large sum of money for those people at the time, but the, in exchange, one could argue that what they suffered in the aftermath of that, probably, you know, if they had known that, would they have made that different sale, right? So it's not to say that all of these land transactions were by force, but what is being acknowledged is that the land transactions were eventual. They were a matter of people being moved by force or by the sense that they should and they had to while they occupied that space for centuries ahead of that. So we acknowledge that by saying, I'm aware that this is sitting on land that suffering might have been the outgrowth of someone having access to it. And then maybe after that, there were people on the land who worked the land and did not feel like they were compensated or they were enslaved, depending on the group that came through. Yeah. Knowing that does not in any way take away from the town that exists now to say that now this is a town that has different kind of resources and different people are here. And there may be good things about this town, but now we just have a fuller story about where we are and the progression of peoples and histories and things that have happened. Yeah, and if anything, I would say that that knowledge and affirmation and acceptance handled well promotes the ability of the current residents, to your point, to go forward together into the, a good future that everybody wants, that everybody can benefit from as a public exercise. This, it's, that it's important to describe how we got here as we're thinking about where it is we want to go and that we can all go to good place uh, together in this effort if we make those choices and we should and we want to right and I would say that even in the example that I just gave in being more culturally aware and sensitive in the way we're teaching history and discussing things that discussion may not happen even though it's not about critical race theory at all that discussion may not happen at younger and younger grades because that's still a very challenging concept to think about. Right. So that might be a high school conversation about different Native American boundaries and how they shifted over time to reflect different historical immigration patterns um, of how they moved and where they had to go. So those nations that still exist in different ways um, to a lesser degree 
can still be acknowledged for still being here. And then we can actually be, you know, thankful for the contributions that are continuing right. to be generated from those nations that still have places and positions in our Western hemisphere. But again, that is along the line of being culturally aware about what the world around us has been made of. And multicultural education was a precursor to some of this other language around being culturally responsive, if you will. Um, but that is the CRT, the culturally responsive teaching that I am aware of and that I know teachers have been trained to think about so that they can be more inclusive in the ways that they're educating different cultures of children with different realities whether that's because their income level level needs to be considered in terms of what they need in school. So if they are in a setting where resources are scarce, that the school can be aware of that to make sure that some resources that are necessary for learning happen. The critical race theory conversation is very much for adult settings, higher education settings, law schools, graduate schools, colleges. And we do not want to confuse that with the good efforts that are happening to be more culturally aware in schools and to strive to make sure that children have what they need to feel seen in the school and to have who they are culturally and linguistically and how they speak in their languages be something that schools can have as a way to look at the assets they're bringing to school to engage them better with the material and to be able to build better relationships with them and their families. I think the last example I wanted to leave us with is one that De uh, Dr. Beverly Tatum shares when she talks about, you know, we often take group photos for the yearbook for our classes. And it's always interesting to note what people do first. What do you think they do first? When they look at the photos? When they look at the photos. They probably look for themselves or maybe their close friends. Yeah, right. So Dr. Tatum is a psychologist and she points out that people will look for themselves in the photo. Even if we have a group photo on Facebook or Instagram, if we're in it, we first want to see how did I come out in that picture, right? If you didn't have the chance to look at it first and create the photo, you want to see how you came out in there. You certainly want to find yourself, right? So what is it like if you don't see yourself in the photos at all? What if you went to high school and none of the photos included you? What if you contributed to that high school? You were a good student, you did all the right things, you were in clubs and you still didn't see yourself in that photo. So essentially what being culturally aware in the way we teach asks of educators, and we're not asking this of individual children, but what we're asking of educators is to think about how to include everyone in the picture who is a part of your community. And by extension, the way we do that is we wanna include children in our lear learning experiences in a way where they can see themselves, where they can see that they are a part of a community and who they are matters and their culture matters and their languages matter and that it could be an asset to them in their learning. So with that, I'm hoping there's a better understanding of where districts are going when they talk about being culturally aware or culturally responsive, but that is what is happening in our school districts. 
the other CRT, that is for the adults, and that is essentially where that theory has been discussed and where it lies. It's helpful, thank you. I don't know that this is gonna be our last discussion, but we appreciate you listening and we hope that you learned. And if you have any questions, please reach out. Have a good day.